Okay. Okay, Bershus, Rabbi Berkowitz, and it looks like some other very hush of a people in the crowd. Um, some people, wow, I recognize some faces, I apologize. No, no, there's no just drive-by, you have to grab a seat. There's no standing in the back. If you're here, you're here to stay. I put that phone away, that's right. Grab a seat, here we go. So first of all, I wanna thank my brother publicly. Um, you know, we, Baruch Hashem, my wife and I made a chasna a few weeks ago. My, our daughter got married. And I told Rabbi Berkowitz from St. Louis, I know what it's like to drive to St. Louis. I did it twice for you. Don't do it for me. Don't travel. And Rabbi Berkowitz came not only for the chasana on Sunday, he came back again for the Shabbat Sheva Brachas uh, six days later together with his esteemed Rebetzin. And uh, not only did they come, but Rabbi Friend happened to have been by, by the, uh, the Shalash Shudas. And I asked Rabbi Yaakov Berkowitz to speak. And Rabbi Yaakov Berkowitz was very intimidating. In fact, Rabbi Berkowitz, last Shabbos, I went to a Shabbaton and I said over half your speech and it was the best speech in the entire Shabbaton. And that was only half of what you said. It was really spectacular. So truth be told, I have to tell you, it's amazing Ashkocha to see you tonight because although Rabbi Berkowitz told me a week ago that I was slated to be the guest speaker, he even asked me to send a picture, which I was so excited to send because I just got back the chasana pictures and he cut me out of one of the pictures and blew me up, I guess, so showed some texture. But I was excited about it, but I completely forgot about it. And I was walking to TA where I teach Baruch Hashem at two minutes to 11, and I took out my phone to turn it off. And I see Rabbi Berkowitz says, all right, are we on? Oh, man. Okay, so Baruch Hashem, I, uh, I think I still have what to share, but I also like when the crowd gets involved. Um, and a simple show of hand like that, and I'll be able to call on you as long as Rabbi Berkowitz lets you unmute yourselves. Okay, so it's Parsha Shalach. Um, and because I don't know what else you've done so far this week in your shalach travels and what you've heard, I'd like to discuss one thing, but you can feel free to like wave me off because we covered that already. No problem. We'll move on to the next thing. So two, two, um, two points I want to try to bring out. One is the Miraglim, the spies, came to Eretz Yisrael to check out what's going on in, in uh, Eretz Canaan. Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, Shlach Lecha. Or actually Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, Shlach Lecha. Rashi gives us some background. Rashi says, really it was B'nai Yisrael's idea. Hashem said to Moshe Rabbeinu, listen, I'm not commanding you to send spies. If you want to send spies, send them. Moshe Rabbeinu decides he doesn't have much of a choice, so he sends the spies. And they came back with a very detailed report. Moshe Rabbeinu said to them, check it out. First of all, go up from the south. Can I get some crowd involvement, Rabbi Berkowitz? Is it okay if I call the people to see where we're holding? I could. Okay. Does anybody know why Moshe Rabbeinu said, go up from the south towards the north? All right. You in the back. Because they were in the south. Um... That's what I would have said if I was you, but I think they came from the side. 
You have to first of all say your name. I'm sorry. Okay. So Rabbi David Rashi argues with you. David Rashi, David Rashi, Rashi. I'm going to go with Rashi on this one. Rashi says, Moshe Rabbeinu wanted them to get the best experience. You know, in camp, in the summer, we bring in a, a fireworks show. I happen to not be so into fireworks, and neither are our neighbors. But the kids like it. It makes a lot of loud noise and costs a lot of money. So we bring in a fireworks show. The grand finale. Give me a nod if you're familiar with such a thing. The grand finale. Okay, good. Why don't we do the grand finale in the beginning? Okay, first of all, obviously, it wouldn't be called grand finale. It would be grand opening. But there's another reason we don't do that. It's because when you work your way up, Rashi says, it's the way of a salesman. If you want to get the, right now I'm in the market for buying a, a, a new car. You speak to any, any agent, they'll tell you, if you want the basic model, it's going to cost you $29.99.99. But of course, if you'd like to add in a little bit of uh, XLE action, so then that will cost you another this and this and this and this. They work their way up until it costs a lot more than $29.99. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, go from the south. It's the poorest place in Eretz Yisrael, and you'll work your way up. So by the time you leave Eretz Yisrael, you'll be like, wow, it was awesome. Okay. And he says, check out, are the cities spread out? Are the cities clustered? Are there walls? Are there not walls? Is there a tree? Anybody know why Moshe Rabbeinu was wondering if there's a tree? It's a little harder. Like trees... Oh, yeah, go ahead. Awesome. Hello. The schus of a tzaddik that would be Megan that would protect them. And they came back from Eretz Yisrael. And they began to talk about what they saw. So they said, they said, first of all, Banu El Haaretz, we came to the land that you sent us to. The Gamzavas Chalavu Devashi. And by the way, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. The Zeb Piryon, this is its fruit. And they showed these enormous fruits. I mean, if you can imagine a grape, I teach grade seven and I eat a lot of healthy snacks in class because I love to model it. And when I cut open any type of fruit, an orange, and you start eating an orange, the kids are drooling. By the way, I let them eat also, because otherwise that would be cruel and unusual punishment. But it's a lot more geschmack when you see someone else eating it. And imagine a grape this size. This would be something which would be quite incredible. So they said, this, these fruits are amazing. However, the people are enormous and very, very frightening. And then they said, it's a land that eats its inhabitants. What do they mean when they said it's a land that eats its inhabitants? Okay, less hands up now. What do they mean when they said the place, the land eats its inhabitants? Rashi tells us that what they were saying was, wherever we went, we found them burying the dead. The Maraglim do not get a great rap. The Maraglim are looked at as being very big Rishayim. What do we want from them? They went to Eretz Yisrael. They did what they were supposed to do. They saw tons of people dying. Moshe Rabbeinu said, check out if the land is a healthy land. So they went. And people are dying all over the place. What do you want them to say? 
Do we have a suggestion? Stumped? Are you kidding me? Or are you sleeping? Oh, that yawn in the middle is priceless. What, what, what do you want them to say? What do you want them to say? They come back, they say, yeah, pretty wild stuff. The people are huge and people are dying all over the place. Ren Rashi tells us, wherever we went, we found them burying the dead. So what type of positive report could you give? You know, I'm at the end of the school year. And as a teacher, you have to spin a positive spin on every end of the year comment. So for example, I'm in the middle of doing report cards and there's a boy who's really spending most of his time outside of the classroom. Then I'll say, your son Chaim is outstanding. <laughs> if, I ever get, if I ever get caught with that, I say, hey, I was being honest, right? There's, there's always ways to spin it positive. What in the world do you want the Miraglim to bring back home? All righty. You have to introduce yourself by name and speak up. Go. Daniel. Okay, Daniel. The people are so occupied with the funerals that they wouldn't notice the Miraglim. Excellent. Says the Gemara in Saita that the Miraglim were coming through strange territory. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, strengthen yourself and take the fruit of the land. It doesn't take such strength to take fruit. So the way I understand it, it means if there's a large fellow who's protecting the fruit or the land and you're coming in and you're saying, I remember we, went, we, we went, were looking into a house where the person who was living there didn't really want to move out. He was being forced to move out. It was a really awkward meeting. Hi, we're just checking out the house because... Now, it's a lot worse if I'm moving into Eretz Canaan and I'm telling these big, large giants, hey, we're going to come here with God's assistance and shock uh, you from this new land. doesn't feel good. So you're right. Rash, the Gemara and Sota says Hashem was doing it for them. How should they have known that? How should they know that? Don't you think that's an important piece of information? How in the world should the Miraglim have known that? Another stumper. Rabbi Berkowitz, you're included in this. You could also answer this. You don't want to steal the thunder over here. How should they have known that? So I think the answer is very simple. If they were making a big deal about the funerals, that means it wasn't an everyday occurrence. If it's not an everyday occurrence, then you make a big deal. But if people are dying all the time, then we become very used to things. The reason why we found that making a big, a lot of noise is because it wasn't very often. But here's what I want to bring out this evening. Fine. Hashem was doing it as a favor for them. You're right. But, but how should they have known that? God didn't leave them a little note. Hey, I'm leaving you a little favor. There's going to be a lot of people dying. Maybe it's an unhealthy land. How should they know? Or forget unhealthy land. How should they know that it's a favor for them? How should they have realized that? So one time, one time my wife and I were working in, a, in the kitchen. It was noisy. There was like a mix master on. And I said something that sounded like jerk, J-E-R-K. My wife did not doubt it for a second that I didn't say it. There was someone else in the kitchen and she said, and they said, what did you say? 
My wife had no suffix that I didn't say such a word. I wouldn't talk like that. I'll tell you an incredible story. An incredible story. Google response gives you like smart responses, right? Ever, ever see that on the bottom? It tells you what to click or ha ha, I agree. Thanks for the heads up, right? The three clicks on the bottom. So my son was next to me on the computer and she, he was realizing, hey, this is pretty cool. He says, I wonder if Google would be able to pick up on subtleties. And I was, it was like a Thursday night. I was making the challenge. I was busy. And I said, hmm, I wonder. And I walked away from the computer. And my 12-year-old son proceeded to write a scathing email to my wife, who was in the other room. Anyway, I didn't think anything of it. I didn't even know about it. Here's the point I'm bringing out. The email was written, what are you doing? It's crazy. You don't, you, you, a whole email written by a 12-year-old to my wife from my email. What would the normal response be of a person who gets an email from somebody? They'd write back, what are you talking about? At least that. Maybe they'd write more words that maybe I shouldn't say, are you talking about? My wife saw the email shrugged and moved on. She said, I must be some, I don't know. I don't know what that is, but it's, it's certainly not from my husband to me. You know why she said that? I didn't, my wife didn't even mention anything to me till two weeks later when she remembered, oh, right. There was that, what was that email? It was a weird email. And then we put the story together because she had such trust in me that there's no way I would have written that to her. The Miraglim who are real, are being taken care of by Hashem in Mitzrayim, on the way out of Mitzrayim, crossing the Yamsuf, surrounded by the clouds, living intimately with the Rabbeinu Shalalem, living Tachas Kanfei Hashchina. Their problem wasn't in the fact that they were looking at the wrong details. When I know for sure that Hashem loves me and that Hashem is doing everything for my good, then it's my job to figure out what Hashem's plan is. But I know why things happen is often unclear. But I know it's happening from the master puppeteer. When things aren't going the way I think they should, I have to realize it's for my ultimate good. And that only happens when we realize that the Rabbeinu Shalaylam is an Av Harachamon. The Rabbeinu Shalaylam is someone who loves us more than we can ever imagine. And when we have that understanding, when we look at world events, we look at our own personal events, then we realize it's a hug from the Rabbeinu Shalaylam. Sometimes you could get a bear hug and it hurts a little bit. But Nochaltz, Yaakov, you'll translate that for them. Nochaltz. It's still a hug. It's a hug from the Rabbanu Shlalem who loves us so dearly. My bracha to you, Rabbi Isai, is that as we travel through the, these weeks and as we travel through this time, we should feel the hugs from the Rabbanu Shlalem. We should feel Hashem in our lives and realize he's, he's the power who loves us more than anything we can ever imagine. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Yeah. And thank you for your involvement. Rabbi Berkowitz.